kick for Atleti. Good opportunity to give a shout to a blog, a, a US fan club of Atletico Madrid called Into the Calderon. Just some really good content for all followers of the Colchoneros. A decent base in the United States as well, following the action on ESPN+. Plus. Give them a follow at Into the Calderon. Welcome to a special edition of Colt Chanero Chat. I'm Jeremy Barron of Into the Calderon. And joining me to preview Wednesday night's uh, Supercopa semifinal in Saudi Arabia is none other than Managing Madrid's Kian Sobani. Kian, how are you, man? I am great. Thank you, man. I'm very excited to be talking with you again for the first time since probably last year's, one of last year's derbies, I assume, we did uh, podcast. So we got to make it more then once uh, a year, but hey, man, we have opportunities for the next three games. We are playing each other until we get sick of each other. So we'll have opportunities. But I was thinking this yesterday, actually. That game at the Bernabeu on the 4th of February is going to be brutal. These teams are going to be so tired of seeing each other. That game is going to be box office. I'm going to have my popcorn out. I hope. it's The derby is tends to be hit or miss. Like the, I feel like the ones at the Metropolitano are a little bit spicier. The ones at the Bernabeu are kind of like, they're not as exciting usually, you know, and I I kind of have this vision of the copy and paste 1-1 draw each time we play each other at the Bernabeu. It's not always like that, but it feels like it, it it's heading in that direction. And of course, uh, when we play each other in cups, there tends to be extra time. So Always. yeah, I was going to bring not that. Just three, yeah, it's not just three games. It could be three long games. Yeah, or at least the first two will be. Could be. We have the Supercopa tomorrow on Wednesday, and then one week from tomorrow, in the last sixteen of the Copa del Rey at the Metropolitano, uh, it's going to be the first Copa del Rey game Atletico have hosted in the Metropolitano in five years. So the atmosphere is going to be electric. And then we go to the Bernabeu at the start of February. Uh, but as as you said, Keanu, and that's as good a place to start as any, is these knockout cup ties between Atletico and Real Madrid, they always go the distance. Uh, they can be really grueling, tough games to watch. Um, I guess before we dive into more specifics and like individual players, I want to ask you about, what is the general vibe and the feeling from the Real Madrid perspective entering Wednesday's game? Oh, interesting. I mean, I think... There's a sense of like, oh man, this is three games now against these guys. Because when you and I first planned this podcast, we didn't know we were going to be potentially talking. I mean, the focus is about tomorrow's game, but we didn't know we were going to be playing against each other three times. That Copa draw kind of caught us off guard. I mean, and we knew it was possible, but it didn't really enter our reality. We just assumed we'd avoid each other for now and maybe get each other later in the tournament. Uh, But I think... My feeling is very similar to Ancelotti's feeling, what he said today in the pregame press conference, in that, you know, we don't really like playing against Atletico Madrid, especially three times, um, because it's a very complicated opponent, but they probably feel the same way about us. So I guess that's how I feel too, is that I'm confident, but at the same time, 
it's not an easy opponent and it's I think complicated opponent is a good way to put it you guys are having a really good season in my opinion despite you know I was reading into the Calderon actually before this podcast started and I feel like you guys are a little bit more pessimistic maybe uh on the league campaign anyway and, and the potential title race there but you know you guys have had some amazing performances from Griezmann and Morata this season and obviously beat us very convincingly earlier this season in what still remains to this day our only loss of the season so far. So complicated is 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 apt. It's I think from the Atletico perspective, it's going to be, um, like I said, box office. It's going to be a, a really interesting game, even though it's on the other side of the globe, basically. Um, both teams playing in the cup this weekend, which we'll talk about a little bit. And they'll obviously be meeting in that competition next week. Um, but I, I guess speaking more to individual players and individual profiles who could make the difference in this game, um, I'm really interested to see a couple of things in particular. Number one is how that beaten up Madrid defense handles the Griezmann and Morata pairing, which has been lethal this season. Morata has been consistently really good for the first time in a while. And I wanted to ask you how on earth Madrid's defense has remained so solid despite the injuries to Militao, uh, the injuries to Alaba. Uh, Chouameni has been playing back there as a, a converted center back. Nacho has been in and out of the lineup due to red cards. Antonio Rudiger has been the only consistent player in that back line. So how has Ancelotti been able to reconfigure this Madrid defense into what it looked like during Zidane's second tenure when they were really solid? Yeah, interesting. Uh, I, I'm kind of stumped on it too. I mean, the answer is pretty clear, but I'm amazed that we actually have been as good as we were because of all the injuries. So I think first and foremost, we have to give a lot of praise to Antonio Rudiger, who has stepped up tremendously in the absence of Militao and obviously now Alaba, and has just been a rock back there. He's been a leader. He's the guy we thought we signed from Chelsea. It took a while for him to get there, but... He's really that guy um, who's commanding the back line, getting the, in the opponent's faces. And Ancelotti, the way you put it today in the press conference was, Rudiger is a pessimistic defender in the sense that he always anticipates worst-case scenario, which, of course, when you're a defender at Real Madrid, that is a very, very appropriate trait to have because you're constantly putting out fires. We've been keeping a high line as well. And the center-back pairing beside him has been wonky all season. Alaba hasn't been at his best even before he got injured. Nacho is good in theory, but two wild red card challenges at very untimely moments means that he's missed games. And then you're getting to the Chuomenis, who hasn't done anything wrong, which has been great. Um, has has done as about, as about as well as you would anticipate a makeshift center-back doing. And so that so that's one thing. Rudiger's been fantastic. The other thing is that, and this kind of surprised me in particular, and I thought our defense was going to fall into off a cliff, was not just the injuries to the back line, but the injuries to Chuomeni and Kamavinga. Because, you know, you go back even to that game at the Metropolitano, Chuomeni did not play that game. And we had that crazy left-sided pairing of Fran Garcia and Tony Cruz, which just got cooked on defense. And Kamavinga was the only one tracking back from midfield. And when you lose Chuomeni and Kamavinga, 
at the same time, you lose your only two defensive midfielders. And Kamavinga is, you know, that's still not his absolute natural position either. But you're basically losing the two guys who can play the single pivot on defense. And I thought our defense was really screwed at that time. What Ancelotti did was shift to a double pivot where he put Fede Valverde and Tony Cruz in the middle. And Fede Valverde is not no longer had a very unchained offensive role. He covered and stayed back and tracked back, and that was his primary focus. And he was, he's been amazing. I, I would attribute a lot of our success to Fede Valverde as well. So a combination of Rudiger, a system change, and Fede Valverde, I think, has um, done us wonders. And, of course, you know, Lunin's been pretty reliable too when he's played. So I think it's, it's a bit of everything. Yeah, the, the, the goalkeeping situation is another thing I wanted to ask you about. Uh, obviously, at the start of the season, Courtois goes down on the eve of the season, which is just mm. a brutal timing. Then Kepa comes in and does all right. But Lunin's surprised me a bit, too, with how solid he's been. We've been hearing about him for a few years as um, not necessarily an heir to the throne, the goalkeeper in waiting, but a, a solid, reliable backup, which I assume is why Madrid never really moved to get rid of him and replace him with somebody else. And he's he's showing now that he's he's been pretty solid between the sticks. Yeah, I I, I mean, the the gradual trust that Ancelotti has had in Lunin from the start of the season to now has been remarkable. Because back in at the beginning of the season, when Lunin was playing sporadically, it still wasn't, like, Ancelotti still wasn't giving him that much praise publicly. And even still, during Kepa's injury, he said multiple times, Kepa is our starting goalkeeper when he comes back. And he even used the words, he said, quote, uh, I don't care what's fair or unfair. Like, that's the hierarchy. And now the tone has completely changed to the point where he sees them as equals. And he said today, I don't know who's going to start, but one of them will start. Um or I, I think he said he knows, but he won't reveal it now. I think that's the way he put it. But regardless, I you know I don't I think in Ancelotti's eyes, Lunin has skyrocketed um, the trust meter with him. The other thing I should mention, to be fair, is that, and I was looking at these numbers while we were talking. I wasn't entirely sure, but I had a hunch. Our expected goals against are twenty-one, which is still the second best mark in the league after Athletic. But we've only conceded 11 goals from those 21 expected goals against. So some of that, there is a little bit of luck involved as well, uh, I think. But still, I mean, I think our defense has still been much better than than expected. Some good fortune there, but but definitely good results. Uh, when Courtois comes back next season, who's going to back him up? I know it's a, a straight loan for Kepa, um, but what what's your prediction like right now as we sit here in the second week of January? Great question. I think it will depend a little bit on the ambition of Lunin and Kepa, respectively. Mm. Does Kepa want to go somewhere and be a guaranteed starter? Like I, I personally think that Kepa's starting role at a top tier club those days are over. I don't think he's going to like a big club and starting. So he has to choose. Like, would I rather continue? Like, maybe do another loan stint or extend a contract, sign a contract, and be the very understood backup to Courtois? Or would I rather go to a maybe a mid-table club somewhere in England or Italy or Spain and start? He has to decide that, obviously. And the other thing is, 
Lunin, well, Lunin is the one under contract longer term. But I think Lunin probably has more market value than, than Kepa now because Lunin, I think, has impressed a lot of people and kind of gone on a lot of people's radars. I think based on merit, I think Lunin deserves to stay. But at the same time, he may also see himself. I mean, look, let's be honest. Being the backup to Courtois has to be one of the most difficult roles in football. It's Thibaut yeah. Courtois, right? Um, unless there's this nightmare scenario, and I don't obviously wish this, that Courtois is not the same player after his injury. Um, and, and that would change things. But I I would, if if Lunin would accept it, I, I'd, I'd love for Lunin to, to stay beyond for both these teams being the backup goalkeeper is difficult because Atletico yeah. had for 10 years and yeah. Evo Gribich, who's been his backup for three years has hardly played and is likely going to leave on a free transfer at the end of the season. So yeah. for both these, these clubs, it's extremely difficult to be the second choice uh, goalkeeper. As you mentioned earlier, uh, it, it's amazing that that remains the Derby in September remains Madrid's only loss this season and Atletico mm. really, really well that, that night at the Metropolitano. Um, and Kian, I think you'll agree with me on this. The player who has been keeping, it seems, everything together and has been contributing at a high enough level that even I am surprised is Jude Bellingham. Uh, mm. Two games between La Liga and the Champions League, he has 22 goal contributions. He's scored 17 goals, 13 in La Liga, albeit from just over seven expected. Um, I want to try to phrase this the right way, but what has the Bellingham experience been like for you? How surprising has it been? How rewarding has it been? And how much how much higher is the ceiling for him? Because it seems like he can do everything. Yeah. Uh, let me try to verbalize it. When, when we first were linked with Jude Bellingham, I was really excited about the idea of having Jude Bellingham at Real Madrid because... And I was thinking more ahead to the future rather than immediate impact, in part because when people started to ask, how do you replace Luka Modric long-term, I don't think you can really replace someone like Modric, and that's for good reason. It's because he's one of the greatest midfielders to ever play the game. So obviously, like a player like that, it's you're not going to replace like for like. Modric was very unique in that he covered so many different things in one player. He covered ground defensively, he covered for his fullbacks, he tracked back, he pressed great, he uh, was a genius on the ball. His vision, his passing, his movement off the ball, his understanding, his, I mean, his technique, everything, right? And so he would, like, we, when we looked at the three-peat even that we had in Europe, a lot of people talked about, like, Ramos and, and, and Varane and Casemiro, but so many of those games actually was like Luka Modric tracking back as the last man trying to hold everything together. And it's hard to think of Bellingham as that kind of player because now we're seeing him score and create, right? But at the time, and even still, it's true. In terms of covering ground, Bellingham was right there. The amount of ground he covers defensively, but also his creative ability. And so at the time, I said, look, this is would be a really good signing, but I wouldn't say that he is a priority because we had holes at right back, Knock on wood, Carvajal has been amazing this season, so that has mitigated some of that. But we needed a backup striker to Benzema at that time, and obviously, and then Benzema left, so then it became a really big, more urgent to sign a striker. But then, and but I said he would be a good signing, but maybe not a priority. But if he was here, great. 
But then it's shifted completely that like, oh my God, this guy wasn't a luxury signing. This was, we could, I'm so glad we went all in on this guy. Imagine passing up on him after what he's seen of him this season. For all the success that Real Madrid has had this season, which hasn't resulted in any silverware yet, obviously, so not to get premature with it. But up until this point, we're very lucky that Bellingham has bailed us out on multiple occasions. No one expected him to be scoring the way he does. I don't care if anyone says that they did. The truth is they had no idea. No one knew he was going to be, like, no one knew he was going to be scoring like this. No idea. And be, because it came out of nowhere, I mean, it has all of a sudden started to, even though this was not the intention, I don't think, but people like saying, oh, like, Riyamda had a genius summer. I don't think that was the case. The, the, the case was we got lucky that Bellingham was this good in terms of putting the ball in the back of the net, especially with Vinicius's injury and Rodrigo's slump to start the beginning of the season. So, um, look, man, I'm just going in circles here, I think, and I'm just all over the place. But Jude Bellingham is, in my opinion, one of the top three players in the world. And there is a case that maybe he's been the best performer in Europe up until now, although there's a lot of great players who are playing well. So I, I'll just make, leave it more vague and say top three, but he's been a superstar. If he keeps this up and Madrid end up winning a couple of trophies this season, he will be a, a top contender for the Ballon d'Or already. Yeah. Not even Especially if he leads England to something in the Euros, which... Yeah, there's also that. And, and he's not even 21 yet. It's crazy. Um yeah. But but like you said, Madrid's summer was really strange because they didn't really address the fullback problems that they've been having for multiple seasons. I know Fran Garcia came in, but he's been in and out of the lineup. Uh, Farlon Mundi might eventually be converted into a, into a central defender, which I think makes sense given his lack of serious attacking contribution. Um, Jose Lu was the only forward that was brought in, and I think Jose Lu has served a purpose. He's played a role, but not a starring one. He was never going to be a star. Bellingham has been the star. He has yeah. been terms of his goal contributions the benzema replacement which as as you said absolutely no one saw coming he just he keeps it's incredible yeah yeah he's putting up numbers that a striker would i mean if if benzema was still here and he had the numbers that bellingham does now in terms of goal production i think we'd be pretty happy like yeah that's what his striker does right it's it's incredible and he'd never scored double digits uh, double digit goals in any season until this one yeah incredible Uh, another young player I wanted to ask you about, Kian, is Arda Guler, who finally made his debut for Real Madrid in the Cup this weekend. Uh, what did you see from him? Uh, well, well, first of all, talk me through the injury problems that he suffered that delayed his debut until January. What you saw from him in the Cup and what his role could be on Wednesday and moving forward for the remainder of the season. Yeah, I think when he finally made his debut in the Copa game against Arandina, I had to pinch myself. <laughs> I thought the day would never come. Like, I mean, it was very frustrating and, and sad. I mean, he he seemed dejected and heartbroken because, like, every time he got close, something happened. It was a relapse. And fans were getting really worried. I was getting very nervous. Like, man, I, what if this is just his body just doesn't hold up? And that would be really devastating because everyone's really excited about him, Carlo Ancelotti. And everybody spoke very highly about him. The highlight compilations were great. And, uh, you know, everyone wanted him to succeed, obviously. When we finally saw it, 
there was a few things to consider. I mean, his performance in the vacuum was very promising. It was very good. He was very good on the ball. I thought he grew into the game with every touch. Very silky player, very elegant player, um, very direct player. And flashy yet efficient, simple. Um, so it's not like a superfluous kind of elegance. Obviously, the caveat is that it was against um, people who got off work at the butcher shop, you know, at five o'clock and then went straight to the football field. <laughs> and so that's that's you know something. But I, he can only do what he's what what's in front of him. You know, like he can't. It's not his fault. It wasn't a Champions League final, and he played well. And I would argue that he would look even better if he's surrounded against surrounded with better teammates because. On that day, you know, it was a bunch of Castilla players on his side. It was Nico Paz and Vinicius Tobias, two Castilla players who, um, you know, are still very raw. And, you know, you put him alongside Fede Valverde and Danny Carvajal instead, plus Jude Bellingham, I, I think he'll he look even better. Is he going to play against Atletico? I don't know. Definitely won't start. There's no question about that. Maybe. Um, you know, we're playing you guys three times in a row, not in a row, but we're going to play you guys two times in a row and then a third time later. Uh, and probably two of those games are an extra time. So I'd imagine we'll see him at some point. You mentioned Fede Valverde. And I wanted to say this earlier, but I, I found it very interesting what he said today in the press conference about uh, reliving the Marazza tackle from mm -hmm. the mm -hmm. final. And he said he would yeah. do it all over again. And honestly, I kind of love that attitude. I, I know mm -hmm. at the time Diego Simeone did too. Like, yeah, just trying to win the game. He was just trying to win the final. Uh, yeah. And even though he got sent off and it was a really nasty challenge, it worked. Madrid won the game. Um, they won the Super Cup. Uh, and I, I thought it was really, I don't want to say neat necessarily, but a really interesting look back and reflection from Valverde that, yeah, I would absolutely do it again. Like, that's putting. As would anyone. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I think. He did also add something important to that, and he said that the context matters. I I do it again if it helps my team. If we're losing three nothing, I'm not going to go and tackle Morata like that because what's the point in, in that situation? But if the result was the same, then I would do it again. I mean, it would just be pure, incredible entertainment if somehow that that happened again. Like in that scenario, like Morata's on a breakaway. And Fede, you see Fede Valverde just sprinting across the field to do it again. I, there would be no better script written and and then executed by the footballing gods if, if that were to happen again. I'm rooting for it. Man, if he does it again, there's going to be a full-scale brawl because everyone's going to remember that challenge in the yeah. 116th minute of a goalless game. It, it, it saved the game. If Morata yeah. go, goes clean through a 1v1, Atletico win the Supercopa. But Valverde made an amazing play. Uh, Simeone praised it at the time. A lot of people praised it at the time. Um, but yeah, if that happens again on Wednesday, uh, my, my heart rate is going to be so high. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm already looking forward to this one and, and all the matchups we're going to have in the next few weeks. Um, care to hazard a prediction for Wednesday night? Uh, uh, we win in extra time. 3-1. 3-1, so like like the, the Copa del Rey last year. Was that what happened last year? Yeah, that was because we took the lead through Morata like midway through the first half. And then it was I think it was Rodrigo who equalized, right? Because he just skinned Witzel on his way. Right, that was uh, the beautiful Rodrigo goal one. Okay. Yeah. And then the yeah. savage red card and you guys scored twice uh, with Vinicius getting the last one. I'm amazed you remember. Like, honestly, I... 
I'm so it's so hard for me to keep track of which game was what <laughs> when it comes to Real Madrid Atletico Madrid. There's been so many, and not just league league games, but so many Copa del Rey games, so many clashes in Europe. I mean, we even had the European Super Cup uh, yeah. a few years ago, and then we've had preseason friendlies, and like there's just so much. I'm, I'm amazed you remember. But you, you you remember the season of eight derbies in 2014-15? We played you eight times that year. Yeah, it was, it was crazy. Yeah, it <laughs> yeah, was like crazy. Four different competitions. It was terrible. So right now we'll be at four after this one. Yeah, potentially six if there's a Champions League draw. Yes, yeah, we could meet in a quarterfinal or a semifinal there. Um, yeah, if get a result at San Siro, which is going to be really difficult. It's much easier said than done. And I like our chances to get past Inter because we're so good at home now. Uh, yeah, who who did you guys get? You got Leipzig, right? Yep. Yeah, that'll, that'll be pretty fun. That should be pretty high octane. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. that's, that's possible. It's very possible. I mean, uh, even it tripped me out. I, and I'm not saying it's a foregone conclusion that we even win the the the, the, the derby, but uh, the fact that there's a there's a potential classical coming up in the Spanish Super Cup like threw me off guard too in the final, like which I'm not really mentally prepared for. But it's a thing that may happen very likely. Um, but hey, man, I I don't want to. I definitely don't want to write off Atletico, and I definitely am not going to write off Osasuna. No. Uh, Osasuna either. So, yeah. But with the way Barca have been playing for like months now, I would be, I, I might very cheekily say Osasuna are going to pull off the upset. It's on the cards. It's on the cards. They're not favorites, but it's definitely on the cards. Yeah. It's definitely possible. All right, man. That's about all I got for you. Uh, thank you so much for hopping on the show today, Keon. Where can everyone find you and read your work if they are so uh, well, thank you. Uh, this is a pleasure. Uh, always enjoy talking to you. And if you just go to managingmadrid.com, you'll see it all there. Um, we're on all social media platforms as well. And if you're interested, Jeremy is going to hop on the Managing Madrid podcast today. So after you listen to this one, hop on over to Managing Madrid and listen to the more Atletico version of this preview with Jeremy hopping on on over there. That is high-level promotion right there. Thank you, Keon. Uh, thanks again for coming on. Always love talking to you. Thanks, Jeremy.